Hi, it's Brian Janikowski, Friday, September the 8th, 2017. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Taken-Burtz, and let's get started with Market Chat, Christian. So this week, uh, we had some news, but uh, we did hear that uh, the Fed is going to lose its vice chair. Stanley Fisher uh, will be resigning in about a month's time. And, uh, you know, given this kind of tightrope uh, act that the Fed is is playing or performing right now in terms of the normalization of rates and the unwinding of the balance sheet, you know, what does this mean for the Fed? I know that there are a number of vacancies um, right now. And, you know, does this tilt the Fed slightly more bullish or dovish um, in raising rates? But, you know, what does this mean for the Fed? Um. Yes, we, the, this vice uh, chair, Stanley Fisher, is a very, very good guy. He used to be the uh, uh, chairman of the equivalent central bank in uh, in Israel. So uh, he suddenly announced that he was leaving. One presumes it's for health reasons. He's in his late 70s. Um, but what it does is means that there, there should be seven permanent members of the Federal Reserve who are appointed and confirmed by the, appointed, confirmed by the Senate. And then there for the and then there are the twelve regional feds, uh, and for the federal open markets committee, uh, the the voting is those seven, plus the always the New York Fed, and then four of the remaining eleven on a rotation basis. So in a, what it should be is seven and five. Well now it's going to be three and five. Mm. <laughs> so four out of the seven. Uh, Federal Reserve governor appointees are are, are vacant. Uh, mm-hmm. they, there are, there's one candidate going through the process, but as we all know, things are rather slow over in Congress these days. Um, so I think what it means is um, that it may not change the balance of hawks versus doves very much, although next year when the new five come on, actually the new four come on, uh, then it might change a little bit to a more hawkish dance. But it just means you've got uh, it, eight people making a debate, having a debate instead of 12. And it's probably just not as good a, or robust a, a platform. So actually, I I think it's just pretty serious. And uh, we're going to have to wait until either new appointees come down the road. And of course, the other problem we got is that it's highly unlikely that uh, Chair Yellen uh, will be or even wants to be reappointed. So we hope she she does, but, uh, but hope is not necessarily going to sway the odds. <laughs> And when you say serious, what do you mean by that? What are the risks that you see? Yeah, um, I, I think we could get, it, it's not so much indecision, it's difficult for, for perhaps for the Fed to have a you know clearly one voice, because the way it works is that the Feds give speeches, the regional Feds give more speeches than the real governors. Mm-hmm. One tends to, real governors, I shouldn't say, the, the appointed governors. One tends to look at the appointed mm-hmm. governors more than the regional guys as having more influence. I certainly do because they're they're looking from a macro point of view. The regional feds look at it from a regional point of view, uh, and it just could mean that the discussion tilts more towards the regional biases, uh, and uh, we're we're sort of missing a good you know good complement and a good full editorial board, and mm. uh, and I and I think that you know, at a time when we're debating where the rates are going to go and. Um, and slamming, of course, into the debt ceiling problem, which has now been postponed to December. It's just not a very good 
combination of events. Right. So if that communication is a little bit dodgy, um, you know, it's often said that known risks are better than unknown risks. Yes, and I think we just exactly right. And I think last week we just got another unknown risk in our in our side. Sure. Okay. So uh, you also wrote about um, growth and value stocks this week. I'm wondering if you could just explain uh, for everyone some characteristics uh, or the characteristics of, of growth and value, some examples of companies that would define these two um, types of stocks, and also how have they performed relative to each other in, in the past? Yes, well, um, the, the market sort of divides itself very broadly and simplistically and probably oversimplistically into growth and value. And the, the quickest way to divide it is that the stock market has an average price earnings ratio, an average dividend yield, and an average price to book ratio. It also has lots of other ratios as well, but those are the uh, three big ones. And then if the stocks are trading at a significant premium to any of those, they tend to become growth stocks. And if they're trading a significant discount, uh, they tend to be um, value stocks. So a good example of a growth stock is clearly sort of Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, Apple sort of sometimes. <laughs> uh, and these are very high P multiples, don't pay particularly high dividends, and don't need a lot of assets to generate enormous amount of income, uh, net income. On the other side, value stocks, the classic ones are uh, uh, Exxon, you know, sort of sitting on a very large uh, pool of, um, uh, of assets, very strong cash flow yield. Uh, Johnson Johnson's another one. But actually, almost the entire financial sector is uh, is considered value because uh, the problem there is that there are so many large banks and they tend to trade at discounts to their net asset value primarily because it's difficult to work out what their net asset value is. And you know their assets can be inflated with things like tax-deferred assets. We've written a little about that this week. Tax-deferred assets, a lot of goodwill, you know, loans that might not be as good as they think they are. And so the market just does the job of, of discounting it for them. So they tend to always sort of be on a value side. But to your point, value is under the sort of Dodd-Graham uh, school of thought is, um, and there's some very good firms that follow us like Grantham Mayo. Um, tend you have to kind of sit and wait for things to come your way, but just right now the growth value tilt has been so much in favour of growth, and uh, although it's endpoint dependent somewhat, that's been true for the last uh, five, ten, fifteen, and twenty years. Wow. So uh, should we give up on on value stocks then? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think you have to be very careful. I think you can't just buy it because they look cheap on a uh, book value basis. I think you've got to buy companies that have very strong balance sheets, very strong. You know, cash flow generation because free cash flow can't be manipulated. Cash is through the bank. You know, where, what it does after that can have different treatments. But that's where we try to focus when we're buying value. But stay certainly stay away from the so-called deep value stocks, which can then turn into deep value traps, and then suddenly you're underwater. So your point is, and and to your just your last point in terms of a value trap is that these companies may look cheap. But they may always be this exactly, way. and I think you've got to be very, very careful how you sort of pick your value strategy. Um, great. So we also got a deal um, unexpectedly, I would say, this week on the debt ceiling, um, and uh, of course they have uh, kicked the can down the road to December. But what does this deal that was um, that was made this week? What does it set up for December? I, I think at the moment it sort of sets up exactly what we would have expected at the end of September. Uh, there, right now, we just don't have an eye uh, on what the budgetary process will be. 
and whether the debt ceiling just gets extended for another couple of months. Uh, and that, so, so we, I think we literally have kicked it down the road. The same things will happen in December. The market has backed off a bit. We show a chart with one month bills uh, actually yielding almost as much as two year notes, which is extraordinary. It just shows the fear in the money market side. And money markets tend to be very boring until they're not. And when they're not, things very bad things can happen. Uh, now, it didn't get as bad in the last couple of weeks as it did in 2008, but you know you really want that end of the curve to be functioning seamlessly. And what we were seeing was this sort of inversion of, of uh, one-month yields, yielding more than, much more than they should have done relative to other securities. And we really don't want to have to go through that again, but I'm afraid that uh, although we might have some you know, deus ex machina uh, event that will benefit us, uh, at the moment we've just literally just postponed it for a few months. And not unlike Band-Aids, um, when you have a protracted process, do you expect the fight now that it's kicked down the road to December, again, when um, the FMOC meeting is, is also around that time and, and we might get a, a rate increase, do you see uh, postponing this as potentially setting up a, a larger um, conflict in the future certainly makes things more complicated and uh, so the next debt ceiling uh, uh, calendar date is hits around about the last time the time of the December FOMC meeting and we've been saying for a while and I think the market broadly agrees with us that the rate increase for this year will take place in December where they're not going to really be able to do it in the middle of a debt ceiling uh, negotiation because the bond market will be behaving very erratically and the last thing they need at that point is more uncertainty. So yeah, it, uh, it'll, it'll probably get a bit hairy uh, before it gets better. So lastly, some good news. Uh, you wrote also about Australia this week <laughs> and uh, they just recorded their 26th straight year without a recession. Um, you know. There are, are a number of factors that you wrote about in terms of that have contributed to Australia's success story. What are these factors? Yes, um, so 106 straight months of, uh, of, of no recession. Um, the previous record was uh, the Netherlands, but uh, the Australia's just beaten it. Um, it's a combination of uh, having a, a good free-floating currency, uh, a good central bank, um, low rates for sure, a booming housing market helped. Right in the middle of it, there was a big sort of mining, metals, agriculture, and energy uh, boom, which, which helped enormously. That's a very large part of the economy, not such a large part of employment, uh, but that's, that's all helped. and. Um, and then finally, I think it's the immigration policy. I mean, this is a country whose population is growing at, I, I can't remember what, uh, what we put down, it's like 1.8%. The US is growing about 0.8%. So that means the US, the Australian population is going to double in 40 years. It's going to take 90 years for the, for the, for the, Europe, for, uh, for the American population and, uh, to double. And over in Europe, you've got, you haven't even got replacement rates on, 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 uh, on, on, on the employment, yet alone sort of you know, good immigration. So uh, I, think there's, I think the testimony to one of this is you know, a good, sensible, uh, you know, well-ordered, well-regulated, uh, welcoming immigration policy is good for the economy. And uh, of course, last week we took a different step yeah, here in the US. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks, everybody. And we'll speak to you next week. And uh, please check out our blog site, uh, B and J Advisors.
www.investmentstrategy.com and uh, here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investment, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments, investment strategy the day of this commentary. is subject to no change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be considered as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several successful and unsuccessful investments by us. Do not represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended. Although we deem reliable sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data past performance, no indication of future results.